God, I thank you once again for uh, our new friends, Darren and Gwen. And Father, we pray for discernment, Lord, that you would fill their hearts with wisdom and understanding, that through your spirit you would guide them to do and to say anything you lead them to do and to say, Father God. We pray that you would bless them in, in their, their moving, Father, that everything would be provided for. They wouldn't lose any of their luggage, Lord, and everything um, would just be uh, blessed by you. We thank you also for their finances, Lord. We know that you're going to provide it, Father God, that everybody you equipped, Lord, you also provide for. You also empower, Lord. You also send, and uh, it's your strength, not ours. And, Lord, I am more than anybody am thankful for that. And, uh, Father God, also that you would just give them a, a spirit of, of, uh, of wisdom, Father, a spirit of power as they, as they try to learn the Spanish language, Father. That it would, it would just be as the gift of tongues, Lord, that, uh, that they would pick this up and, and speak the wonders of God in, in this language and be useful for you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. All right. Well, thank you all for being here tonight. And... Uh, if you will open up to Acts chapter eight, really we're going to be we're going to be looking at a handful of verses tonight. But Acts chapter eight is kind of where we're going to be founded in verses fourteen through seventeen. And so we've been we've been moving through the book of Acts and uh, seen a lot of wonderful things. We've saw how the church has begun, how the Spirit of God was upon them as they were obedient and faithful as they waited on, on the Holy Spirit to empower them and how they exploded and multiplied by simply walking out what Christ had called them to, declaring the truth, declaring the gospel, and making uh, seeking the Lord and being empowered by the Lord part of their daily experience. And so as, as these men have been empowered, as they've, they've seen the masses come to Christ, they've been in prison, so much has happened. Now... Um, we've just passed the point where Stephen, the very first martyr, has been stoned for his faith in Christ. And there's such, such a persecution broke out against the church that all the disciples, except for the apostles, were scattered out from Jerusalem. And so Philip, who was one of these disciples, travels down to Samaria. And as he takes the gospel into Samaria, the, the multitudes start coming to Christ. And so we're picking up in, in Acts chapter 8 um, with this story of Philip in Samaria preaching the gospel, doing wonders, and, and people coming to the Lord. But before we read that, the title of tonight's message is How Saved is Saved. That might seem like a, a silly title, but that's because we're going to be talking about what I believe is some silly doctrines, um, but they're very prominent. So how saved is saved? First of all, I'd like to start with John chapter 3, verse 3. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, who is Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How many of you ever heard someone say, I'm a born-again believer? You ever heard that? Any of y'all ever said that? Claim to be born again, right? So that's where the, this is where the term comes from, from uh, the words of Jesus saying, you must be born again, John chapter 3. But here's the thing. What does it really mean 
to be born again. What does that really mean when someone says, I'm a born-again believer? Or when they ask other Christians, you know, I've, I've heard people, uh, or I've met people, and they say, well, are you, are you a believer? And I say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. They say, well, are you born again? And they ask it like a separate question. I say, well, yes, of course, I, I am. I'm, I'm a born-again believer. I know Christ. I know the Father, the Spirit of God. Um, very real in my life. So what does that mean? So we find out as we, we look a little further into the words that Jesus has for Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Where he says, uh, Nicodemus says back to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers back and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone, this is the important part, everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what Jesus tells us is that to be born again, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God. And so we could call this, this isn't a term that I, I typically like to use, and we'll see why, but we could call this the baptism of the Spirit. Anybody ever heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes? Okay, I got nods. I'll take that as a hand raise. Okay, anybody ever told, been told that you, you need it or that you're missing it or anything like that? No? Well, very interesting. So the baptism of the Spirit is being born again. And there's a lot of controversy and theological debate about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of debate, a debate uh, between churches and denominations of what it is, who it's for, how it works. And uh, it's a very important subject, though, because it's foundational it is foundational for our faith. But it's also a subject that causes a lot of division. Now, if you're like a lot of people and you've grown up in the same church or, or maybe the same denomination of churches your whole life, maybe this isn't a big issue for you. But when we begin to step outside of those boxes or as God brings other people into our lives who are called believers, who are called to be brothers and sisters with, co-laborers with, that have different backgrounds, different faiths, different beliefs. The, the easy thing to, to do is for people who are Baptists to say, oh, well, he's a Lutheran. People who are Calvinists to say, oh, they're Arminiists. And we can take one verse, and we're gonna, I'm going to explain myself. We can take one verse and we can split thousands of peoples into a variety of different groups that will never interact with each other. Does anybody here think that was God's plan? No, I don't think so. So this, this idea of uh, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like I said, for one, is foundational for your faith, for you to understand. But it's also something that if we allow it to, can cause division which we don't want. So 
where does Acts come into this, right? Some of y'all are like, wait a minute, John, what's going on here? So let's go ahead. Let's read through Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, just a few verses. And so um, as Philip is preaching the gospel, people are being baptized. Even a sorcerer comes to faith, and it says in verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had, not, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, that's kind of an interesting, an interesting paragraph, isn't it? What in the world is going on there? So, as I said, Philip has gone down here, and these people are coming to Christ, and they're being baptized, even pay, a pagan sorcerer, who they had been calling the power of God, has come to faith in Christ, or has been publicly baptized and followed the apostles, right? But then it says something very interesting. It says, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Huh. Well, it says that they believed in, in what we read last week. It says they believed. It says they were baptized. And yet here it says they had not received the Spirit of God. And it doesn't happen until when? It doesn't happen until, I think it's um, Peter and John. Let me double check. Do, do, do. Let's see. Peter and John. There we go. I was right. A plus. Peter and John, apostles, they come down and they lay hands on the people. And as they lay hands on the people and they pray for them, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Hmm. So there should be one huge question that goes through anyone and everyone's mind as they read this. And it's one huge question that has created denominations, has, has created questions, and has split the body of Christ. As we read about these uh, Sumerians who did not Receive the Spirit of God until the apostles came. The question is, why? Good answer. Because, my son says. He thinks he's slick. You see that? Um, why? So that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Why? And the only real answer, the only way, real way to answer this, is through viewing the Scriptures as a whole. Okay, And this is very important for you, not just for this one thing, but as an exercise of your faith. To understand that anything you believe, anything that you're about to speak, I believe, anytime you're just going to say this is true, anytime you're going to say the scripture says, you should be able to back it up throughout the scriptures. I'd say in at least three places, right? It's usually you can do it with much more than that. Some things are a bit more obscure, but... Your faith and your understanding of theology should not ever rest on a single verse. Because that is where confusion and heresy comes from. I'm not saying any of you are heretics. I'm just saying that's the truth. That's where it comes from. Any, anybody in here ever never been wrong? Well, there's lots of liars in this room. I see this. Uh, my hand went up as, a, as an example, not as a... Anyways. So if you've been wrong before... We want to cut down that in the future, right? I know I do. 
So the only real way to understand this is to look at the scriptures as a whole, okay? And so there are some very important things that we all need to know and to understand about the Holy Spirit and about receiving the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're going to look at this verse. We're going to see what's going on. We're going to ask the question why. And now we're going we're to springboard into some answers. Okay, we're going to look at, at how to understand what's going on here. And I believe will help you understand a whole lot more about the Bible as you read on your own. Okay, because if I'm your only source of biblical knowledge and, you know, input, you in bad shape. And that goes for anybody, too. So. So the first thing we have to understand, and this is going to throw you off, and I know because when I read this, I wasn't told this by anybody. Nobody preached this sermon to me, right? I didn't learn this in Bible school, but when I read this in the Word, it threw me off. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1, Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3, was a very uh, interesting, very challenging couple of verses for me a couple years ago when I was first reading them. And uh, the first thing you need to know is that there are indeed two baptisms. Actually, we could, if we look at the scriptures, we could say there's more than two baptisms, but, you know, some of them don't actually apply to us. And now I'm confusing everybody, so we're going to move past that. Uh, but there are actually two baptisms. Some of y'all are like, what is it? Let's, let's just read. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Everybody say perfection. perfection. Now kind of puff up perfection. No, don't puff up too much. But uh, not laying again the foundation the, found, the foundation of th these next couple things, they should be done and over with in your mind, okay? They should be basic and elementary. That's why it convicted me when I read this a few years ago, because some of these I still had questions about, okay? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Verse 2. Of faith towards God, of the doctrine of, everybody, what does that say? baptisms, plural. The doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So all these things should be foundational and elementary to all of us who are walking in Christ, right? And one of them is the doctrine of baptisms, plural. So there are two baptisms, and this is very important to understand. And Jesus himself has already told us that we must indeed be born again, that we have to be born by the Spirit of God to even enter the kingdom of God. So this, this receiving, this being filled with, baptism means submerged, right? So being submerged in the Spirit of God, that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't agree with that, you can argue with Jesus, right? Praise God, I ain't got to do it. Whew. So, and there's more throughout scriptures about, about that, but this is, that's just the first step. There are two baptisms. Yes, we can be baptized by water. Everybody's aware of this. But you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I almost hate saying that. Because when I say that, what usually happens is there's a preconceived condition in, in people's mind on what that means. What that means. 
Because I know when I'm out and about, when I'm at missions conferences, when I'm dealing with missionaries from all over the world, they always end up being Pentecostal. I don't know why. I'm okay with that. I mean, but it's just the way it is. And so when I'm at a, and I, there's all these Pentecostals on stage, and they're saying, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can almost 99% of the time tell you I'm not going to agree with the next couple things that come out of their mouth. But the truth is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is necessary. Is necessary. So we're going to talk about, about this, right? It's important. Okay, so next we have to answer, well, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit then? Right? And how do we receive it? It's also an important question. So the, uh, the majority of the time that people are going to be in front of you on stage preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're going to be saying a couple things. They're going to be saying that in order to have to, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for one, if you don't have it, you're not saved. I will agree. We'll get to that. I agree differently, but I agree. They're also say that uh, you can be saved and not have it. I don't agree. They're going to say you need it, and you don't have it unless you speak in tongues or prophesy, and that there is some sort of sign in event that has to specifically happen in your life or someone else's life, or you're not saved. The majority of the time someone is on stage using the words baptism of the Holy Spirit, those things will follow. The next thing, if that's not it, it'll be, well, you might be saved if you don't speak in tongues and you haven't received some second extra baptism, but you're not really saved enough. If anybody can explain that to me, I'll be here all night. I even had a pastor from um, Pakistan, who is actually a very influential, probably one of the most influential uh, ministers in Pakistan, so I, I'm, you know, I have a lot of respect for the man, tell me that when Jesus says uh, of the four soil parables, that some bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, that that's the level of people's uh, spiritual baptism. And so you might get 30% Holy Spirit, you might get 60, you might get 100, and it just sucks to be you if you don't have a certain a certain event. Well, this is what people are being told. And it's very, this is not a small part of the world. This is very prominent. Very prominent. In fact, in a, about two weeks, I'm going to be surrounded by a great number of people who believe this way. Okay? So, they'll tell you you're either not saved or you're not saved enough. And that's where my question, how saved is saved? comes in. Kind of strange, huh? So I do believe there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I do believe it that without it, you are not saved. But the problem is that people do not understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and that the, uh, you know, some more, some more, more of the charismatic Pentecostal denominations, which, by the way, I'm not against any denomination particularly. I could care less. Um, I'm about Jesus. Amen? Um, but those denominations and things still, uh, you know, they're either going to be for the Holy, you know, um, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you have to have a great event or nothing, or you're going to have maybe some on the more Baptist or whatever, whatever we are side who might not even, those are dirty words, okay? I believe that we need to understand the scriptures 
and to be in the middle, right? Um, and why do I say that? Why do I make it the extra point of saying that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you understand the scriptures, and if you go back to check the scriptures after every sermon you preach, you'll do very well. If your theology is based on what your pastor tells you, be careful. And if I ever disagree with the scriptures, believe the scriptures. Okay? But let's, let's talk about this. So why is it that people would believe that? Because I had a lot of people looking at me all kinds of funny when I said those things. Why is it that people believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved? If you don't prophesy, you haven't received the Spirit. And maybe you can get saved without those things, but you're not really, you know, you're kind of a second-rate Christian, you know. Why? It's because of verses like this in Acts 8. They see these things. They see in, in Acts chapter 8 that when Philip preached the gospel, they believed and were baptized, but had not received the Spirit. And it did take for the Samarians, Samaritans, Samarians, Samaritans, whatever. It took for them an extra encounter, an extra experience for them to receive the fullness of God's gift. It did take that. Is everybody thoroughly confused now? I hope so. No, I hope not. But it's very easy to take one verse and create an entire theology off of it. We don't want to do that. So, here's the thing. I want you to think of, I hope everybody here is familiar with the day of Pentecost. If you're not, Acts chapter 2. Jesus told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit came upon them. And on the day of Pentecost, as they were in the temple eating, the Holy Spirit fell like tongues of fire on the apostles for the first time. They were filled, they were empowered, they were sealed, and they began to speak in tongues. And all the people from all the surrounding nations, all the Jews that were there to celebrate the, uh, the festivals, they heard them speaking the glories of God in their own language, and they marveled. That's an amazing event. And because of this, Peter was able to preach a, a message where 3,000 souls were saved that day. So we got Acts chapter 8, you know, special event to receive the Spirit. We've got Acts chapter 2, the day at Pentecost, special event for them to receive the Spirit. Starting to add up, except for they forget something. After these 3,000 people in one day come to Christ, does the Bible mention any of them speaking in tongues or prophesying? No, but they were saved. They received the Spirit. It goes on to talk about how they were one together in one accord, how they gave up everything for each other. They sold their homes, their properties, and they were in, in, the, in love with the Spirit of God. They were together in one place. They ate together. They worshiped together. They followed the doctrine, and the Spirit of God is, is evident in the Scriptures, right? Then we have Acts uh, chapter 8. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 3, where there's another event where all these people come to Christ in the temple after the, there's a man who is lame, and Peter says, rise, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he leaps and jumps and sing in joy, and all these people come in and get saved. Any, any speaking in tongues and prophesying or falling on the floor in those scriptures? I mean, I didn't, I didn't it doesn't tell us. It doesn't specify it, 
Okay? There are, very, there are incidents in, incidences in Acts where it specifically tells us these things happened. But what's my point? A greater majority, these things don't happen. In fact, if we were to continue on in chapter 8, which we'll look at either next week or the week after, Philip is led into the wilderness, and there's a eunuch coming by in a chariot, and he gets up and he explains Christ from the book of Isaiah to this eunuch, and the eunuch tells him, man, what's stopping me from being baptized? Philip says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord, we may. They stop, they baptize him right there in the middle of the desert at some random well. Any speaking in tongues, any signs, any wonders? Other than Philip teleporting, which was pretty cool. You know, uh, nothing from the eunuch, except for he was filled with joy in the spirit of God. And he took the gospel back home. Amen? Amen. So, a little bit of debunking going on here. And this should not surprise us that these things didn't always follow because the scriptures even tell us this. This is why it's so important to read your Bible for yourself. The scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Each one of you receive it, if you believe in Christ. For the profit of all, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge to, through the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healings, to another working of miracles or prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to different types of tongues is listed, right? To another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one as the Spirit wills. So what, what, can, we, what can we gather from this? can gather this. God is going to give you a gift. In fact, <laughs> he, he had a gift for you before you even knew who he was. It's going to be as he chooses. It's going to be for his body, for his purpose, and it's not going to look the same as everybody else's. To each one will get this. To another will get this. To another will get this. Right? Here's the problem with this. Because even after this, Paul goes on to say, does everybody speak in tongues? Does everybody prophesy? Are all apostles, right? The answer is no. And it goes on, 1 Corinthians 14. We're not going to go through all that. We don't have enough time. Um, You can, if you have any questions about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is one subject. Read it, okay? So people do have these gifts. And here's the thing. There are people who do have amazing experiences with the Lord. There are people who the Holy Spirit falls on them for the first time and they speak in tongues. I can't. Who am I to to say that didn't happen? It happened in the scriptures. There are people who prophesy. I know. Right? I've got a buddy who, I met this guy off the street. He came out of prison. He was homeless, had no job, was just trying to make it. I've seen that guy. I've seen five fulfilled prophecies come out of that guy's mouth that were like a year before they happened, that were like crazy specific. Not, oh, God has a great plan for you and you're going to work in the ministry. That's not real specific to me, okay? So people do get the gift of prophecy. But here's the thing. Never allow anybody else's experience to become your standard. Okay? This is important. Do not let someone else's experience become your standard. Do not let it tell you that you don't have enough of God. 
There's a lot of things in your life that should convict you about that enough, that you need more Jesus. We all need more Jesus. Do not let someone else's experience, someone else's gift, become your standard or your envy, because God has his own for you, and it'll be greater. It'll be greater, right? For you, anyways. So, back to the question. Why did it happen for them? Here, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I had this question. I was going to Romania and Moldova, and I was being told, most of you know this story. I was being told that because I was not ordained in a specific way, that I was like a, a policeman, with the, or a, a guy who bought a police outfit and put on a badge, had no real authority. I was also told that because I didn't have a great event where some big thing happened and I spoke in tongues and all these things, that I was missing something. I was missing something God had for me, and I hadn't sought him enough. Now, I had been in the word enough to, to believe that that wasn't true. But by the, you know, I praise God that I consider myself humble enough that I wanted to make sure. And I spent a lot of time, a lot of months, praying. I even spent time fasting, asking God for an answer, and telling God. I even let them blow in my face and try to push me over and all kinds of things. I mean, that's just the way it is. I get it. I'm, not t- I'm not talking bad about it. That's just the way it is, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. It's just the way it is. And I, went, and I went into a room and let them do all these things. And before I walked in that room, I emptied my heart before the Lord. And I said, Lord, if I'm missing anything from you, I want it. And I submitted to him. And I submitted to, to my friends in these uh, things. And you know what I got after all these oils and things and stuff over me? I got nothing. You know what I got after praying and fasting? I got nothing. And months, months, months into this, I totally forgot about it. I'm at an FWC retreat, and I have a dream. And uh, in this dream, there was a man, and uh, I was standing in front of him, and it was just vivid colors, and it was just crazy. I could just, there was just this deep communion and worship, and I couldn't see this dude's face. I, I don't even know who this man was. And there's a woman off to the side, and she's smirking at me, and she's mocking me. And suddenly, this man reaches up, and he touches my head, and I fell back on the floor over my knees, and it was just like there were waves just crashing over me. Boom, boom, boom. And I had no idea what was going on. And I remember thinking in my dream or vision or whatever it was, I remember going, Lord, who, who is this man? And I thought about a couple people, it wasn't them. And so I look up to see who this man was, and there's no one. There's nobody. So I stand up, and I look around, and there's this woman who, who's, who's mocking me, and she's getting farther and farther and farther and farther, and she's gone. And I woke up. Oh, wow, that was a weird dream. That's what I thought. I, I could care. I don't, I'm not a dream interpreter, okay? I don't look into dreams. I have dreams. I go on with my life. I don't care, okay? Except for this dream, the more I thought about it, the more clear it got. The stronger my heart was convicted, and then God began to speak to me and explain the dream. The only dream or vision or whatever I've ever had from God, only one. This is what God told me. He said, that man, that was the Lord. It's also why at the end there was no man. Because there, there was no man, physical man. And the Lord said, I anointed you. I called you forth. There was no man. And that woman that was mocking me was these multiple false 
teachings or doctrines that people were telling me that were really messing with me. Because I want to know the truth. I don't want to be right. I want to know the truth. And at the end, after I got up, after I had been anointed by God, I, I, I stood up, they faded away, and they were gone. And God said, I anointed you. I called you. You lack nothing. That's what he told me. And that's been one of the most powerful moments of my life. Because if it was not for that moment, I would not understand the scriptures the way I do today, and I would still be asking, what if? What if I'm missing something? That wasn't planned, so took it up a little more of your time. I apologize. So let's go back to the question. The question is why. So why did it happen that way? And here's what God has told me as I studied the scriptures. And actually, before I wrote this, I just, out of curiosity, decided to go and look on Google and see what other theologians had thought. A great majority of them has said the same thing. So that's good. It's always a plus, right? We have the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell in a very specific way. Who is that for primarily? The apostles and the Jews. It's the day of Pentecost, the Jewish festivals. It was the Jewish people from all around the different regions that were there. And they received the Spirit of God. They received the gospel. And there was a signs and wonders to declare the truth to them with full certainty and faith. Then there's a second event that's very specific in Samaria. Philip goes. He preaches. The Holy Spirit does not come until the apostles show up. And this Spirit falls on them again. To where? Samaria. Why is that important? Well, there's another event before I answer the question. Acts chapter 10, Peter and Cornelius. Peter is told to go to a Gentile's house by God. First thing Peter says when he gets to his house is, I ain't never been in a Gentile's house. I'd never do this if God didn't tell me to be here. And it says, actually, I wrote, I wrote it down for y'all. Acts 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's declaring the, the plan of God to them. While Peter's still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And it goes on, Peter commands them to be baptized because he watched the Holy Spirit fall. Those are the three great events in Acts. I call them, this is my own, the three Pentecost occurrences. You've got, as it is, a day of Pentecost for the Jews. You've got a day of Pentecost for the Samaritans. And a day of Pentecost for the Gentiles. Why is that important? Well, because we're Gentiles, so that's pretty important. Why else is that, why else is that important? Here's the thing. I don't know how much you know about Jews. If someone showed up to Jerusalem to the Council of Elders and said, oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit was given to the Samaritans too. They're now your brothers. What do you think they would have said or done? They probably would have spit in their face and kicked them out. And even if they did accept it, it would have been them and us. Peter had to get a vision from God to even go to a Gentile's house. What do you think would have happened if someone showed up and said, hey, let's go have church with all these Gentiles. We're going to worship God together. Oh, and guess what? We're all going to worship the same way. Those Jews would have pulled their dang hair out. They would spit in your face and beat you up again. Hopefully not, because these are Christians now, so maybe they're, maybe they're a little more refined. I don't know. Some of us, it takes longer, right? 
Do you understand what I'm saying, though? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Why was it that Peter was there in each instance? Jesus told Peter, hey, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, buddy. It was the apostles who were there to witness the Holy Spirit fall on the Jews, just as he fell on the Samaritans, just as he fell on the Gentiles, because there's one church, there's one body, there's one spirit, and that is God's plan. Even so much that Peter had to go back to the council and defend himself in front of the elders, because they were like, why were you in those filthy Gentiles' house? Of course, that's my paraphrase. You know what he said? Holy Spirit fell, buddy, what you want me to do? You want to argue with God? That's also a paraphrase. And they accepted it. And there was unity. There was unity. And this is what is happening, okay? And this is why it's important to know the scriptures. Because these are the things we, we can begin to piece together. And if you don't believe me, you can go read it for yourself. You don't have to believe me. Believe the word, right? So these, what I'm trying to tell you is what's going on here in Acts chapter 8. Let me get my extra scriptures. Uh, what's going on here in Acts chapter 8 are not typical events. The day of Pentecost is not necessarily a typical event, right? Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, that is not a typical event. But that these were signs to the Jews and to all people that, that rather you're male, female, Jew, Gentile, like the eunuch, whole or unwhole, if you catch my drift, you're accepted by the same God and free to enter into his salvation. That's what it's about. So to kind of close up here, these are the things we got to understand about what's going on. These are the things we have to understand about the Spirit. Okay? First of all, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That's not disputable. Okay? And let me, I'm going to give a little bit more to edify that. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Everybody in this room should, should write down or memorize or do something. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Also, 2 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23 says like the same thing. But Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Is that pretty strong language to anybody? When you believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit seals you. The spirit of promise seals you, and he's your guarantee. He's your guarantee of salvation until the day of the purchased possession. Man. So yes, you must be baptized by the Holy Spirit, but it comes through salvation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, in fact, is salvation. And it's not a big event. It's not being eccentric. It's not speaking and, you know, whatever. Does that come from it sometimes? Sure. Praise God. But it's receiving the Spirit of God, and it's, it's receiving a Spirit that stays with you and never leaves you. A Spirit that transforms you, that guides you, that speaks to you, and empowers you to do the will of God. And if you've never received that Spirit, that, that should be your question. If you cannot say, I know I have the Spirit of God, that should be your concern. But don't concern yourself if you don't speak in tongues. You can pray for that later. I don't speak in tongues either, by the way, so we good. 
here's the thing. Water baptism will follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not always follow water baptisms. Also something you need to know. Okay. Um, another thing, another side note as we're getting to the end here. It's very interesting for me anyways. Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, everyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Another verse, people create whole theologies around, right? Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But then he says, whoever does not believe will be condemned. He doesn't throw baptism into the condemnation part. Here's what I've learned. Yes, from studying the scriptures, but also through experience, seeing uncountable numbers of people claiming to give their life to Christ, saying a prayer. Majority of those, I'm pretty sure about some, who knows. What I have learned is when people truly receive the Spirit, saying a prayer doesn't mean you're saved. If it's authentic, it does, <laughs> praise God. But when people truly receive the Spirit, the Spirit quickens them to follow. The first step of that is baptism. If someone says a prayer, okay, yeah, 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 and they don't want to get baptized, you should question that. You should question. Now, if they can't get baptized, oh well. If they're like do on the cross and they die before they can, oh well. Spirit of God. But baptism does follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily follow baptism, my friends. I'm getting off subject though, or off on the trail. So you need the Holy Spirit. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to enter the kingdom, right? And uh, these three Pentecostal experiences that I called them were should be things that bring us together, that set the doctrine for, for entering God's kingdom, right? Not the doctrine of who's holier. And um, I feel like I had a third note to end on. Yes, you must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Simply ex accepting the Spirit of God, believing the gospel truly in your heart, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit does come with gifts. It might not be someone else's. You're not going to get someone else's calling. You're going to get your calling. It's going to be amazing, right? And um, finally, like I said, this scripture, what we're talking about here, this great confusion that's happened with the scriptures, these events like in Acts 8, again, this is supposed to be the doctrine of the kingdom that we're coming together that there's authority, that he's bringing the Jews and the Samaritans together. He's bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together. He's making one body, right? That's the doctrine, not your holier if, okay? So let's end with this. I want to invite, I'm pretty confident about the people in this room, but what do I know? I want to invite anybody here who is not confident in their salvation. Anybody here who might say, yeah, you know, I, I believe there's a God. I come to church. I do these things. I've tried to be a good person, but when I hear about these things, I feel like something's missing. If you feel that way, I want to invite you to pray and to search your own heart on whether or not you've truly believed the gospel and surrendered your life to Christ. Outside of that, once we receive the Holy Spirit, we are called to walk in Him. And we are called to be filled with Him again and again, more and more. And so if nothing else, I invite you to pray for that tonight. Paul tells us to pray, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, he writes. 
Pray for a better relationship with the Holy Spirit. Pray for understanding from in the scriptures. Pray to be empowered like they're being empowered. So let's, let's stand and pray together tonight. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for your scriptures, Lord. I thank you that we know and believe that every word's inspired. We know and believe that truth is in your word, Father God. And we know and believe that your word, Father God, is uh, it's good to equip us, to build us in righteousness. And I believe that as people in this room, just like I have, begin to step out in new areas of faith, they're going to step into very challenging circumstances. So, Lord, I pray that this will be a message that they can use, Father God. That this would be wisdom for their spirit, Father. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would empower us, that you would give us the fruits of your spirit. You'd give us joy and peace and long-suffering and everything that comes with it. And, Father God, if anybody here is searching for what is my purpose, what is my gift, Lord, that you would show them and that you would lead them to be eager to serve because that's where we find it, is in service to you. So I thank you for who we have here tonight. I thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we're going to sing another song as, uh, before we close tonight. And... Uh,